go. Come on, Terry. Go ahead, brother. You got something to give? Yes, sir. Braxton, we're praying for him. Yes, sir. Praise God. You didn't hear what he said. He's, he, of course, it's a miracle he's still alive. And um, they're now going in. They're going to be able to repair um, his, uh, his skull. And we're just believing for a complete uh, recovery for this precious child. And, um, and, and God's hand is upon him. And we're thankful for it. Amen. Just turn one. Just had his first birthday. Get, say it loud, brother, like you can. Amen. 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 We're glad you're here, brother. Glad you're here. You're just that big brother that went off for a little while. That's me and Matt. I always thought of you and Tom as our as a big brother. All four of us down there in the jail ministering together, man. Never forget it, Wally. Never forget it. Praise God. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. We're thankful for you, Peyton. Praise God. Glad you're a part of us. All right. Anybody else? Everybody good? All right. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 tonight. And we um, it's kind of our golden text. It's the one that we turned to and have been building forth, uh, building from, and so we're going to continue to do that tonight. Amen. Let me remind you of a couple of things, all right? Whatever's not a faith is time and effort spent traveling in a wrong direction towards an inferior life. Amen. I told Sister Pam today, I said, you know, Lord's kind of dealing with my heart. I, we're going to pray this out. I'm not, you know, if you wonder where the billboard is, I don't know, but I was thinking it might not be a bad thing to put this on a billboard. If it's not a step of faith, it's a step taken towards an inferior life. Come learn more about it. Heritage Christian Center celebrating 20 years. So anyway, just that's kind of one of my, one of my ideas. Amen. So the Lord will. But again, whether it makes it on a billboard or not, make sure it makes it into your heart. If it's not a step of faith, it's a step taken towards an inferior life. Praise God. All right, so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. A lot of talk of faith. People don't even know God talk about faith. People talk about having faith in a person or faith in the government or, or have lost their faith in, uh, you know, the police force or what have you, you know. And so there's a lot of talk about faith and it's kind of like a lot of talk that goes on about love. Sometimes we lose sight of what these words really are and, and what these words really mean. In other words, we, we hear, we walk by faith, but, you know, there's no telling what someone may think of when they think of the word faith. And it's important for us to get it right. It's, it's the enemy who likes to confuse these things. And the more important the thing is, the more he likes to confuse it. And so when it comes to faith and what faith is and how faith works, then we see that it's not just something that we try to use when we pray to get an answer. But faith is how we were designed by God to live. 
So faith is more than just something that we go to when we've got a crisis or an issue and we can't work it out on our own. And as the world likes to say, there's nothing left to do now but pray, you know, uh, meaning God is a last resort. And since it's God, it's got to have something to do with faith. So faith is a last resort. No, no, no. We, we got to break that mold, all right? We were created by God, designed by God, hardwired by God to go about life by faith. That's what this word walk means. It's, it's, it's going about. Or so we, we could say how you go about life. We were created to go about life by faith. Now, since so many in our world are not walking by faith, that only leaves one other option. This means that they're walking by sight or they're going about life by sight. And we said that walking by sight is going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel. Now, perhaps some of you are growing a little weary in hearing me say those three words, okay? But I am here on assignment. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm here on assignment. Amen. I've got 86 slides, I think it is, in my possession tonight. So I could preach till summer just on what we got right here now, okay? And so it's not because I don't have anything better to say. It's because I don't have anything more important to say right now from the Holy Spirit to us. And we've got to connect with this on a practical level. We've got to begin to recognize in our own lives when we are operating based upon the way something looks, the way it seems, or the way it feels. These things are highly suspect. They are highly unreliable. You would think that we could always trust the way something looks, seems, and feels, the way we depend so much in life on the way things look, seem, and feel. So walking by sight, we said, is the default setting for the world. This is how the world lives. The world goes about life based upon how it looks, seems, and feels. And if we are not careful... We will get pulled in. We will get sucked into their conversations. We'll get sucked into doing life the way people around us do life. But we're breaking from the pack. Amen? We're learning to live the way God created us to live. We're learning to understand what faith is, what a life of faith uh, looks like, and how to go about it. So if walking by sight is going about life based upon the way things look, seem, or feel, then walking by faith is going about life based upon what you know is true, but not yet visible. What you know is true, but not yet visible. Now, that's kind of an introduction. Last week, the message was entitled, Lessons from the First Temptation. Lessons from the First Temptation. And of course, the first temptation was when uh, Satan tempted Eve, and then ultimately Adam in the Garden of Eden. And we see that God's words were very clear to them. And we see that when the enemy came to tempt them, he didn't come and go boo and try to scare them. He didn't try to threaten or intimidate them. He tried to very subtly begin a conversation with them. Because the enemy knew that if he was ever going to get them to ultimately commit a sin and then ultimately mess up their lives and the garden that God had made perfect and beautiful, He was going to have to get them to do something in opposition to who God is and what God has said. Now, I know that this may seem a little strange to say because there were so many things in the Garden of Eden that had not happened yet that we experience every day of our lives. In other words, there were things like, I've said this before, 
Um, it was only after they sinned that fear entered in to men's and women's hearts. There was no fear. Now think about it for a moment. Satan comes in embodied in a serpent and she's so aware of the spiritual realm that this doesn't seem strange to her nor is she frightened by it. So it wasn't until after they sinned that fear entered the picture. Now, I don't even believe they knew what this odd feeling they were experiencing, this odd emotion that was now dominating them in a negative way. I don't know if they knew to call it fear or not, but that's what it is. So what's become known in our lives and in our world today as fear um, was something very new to them because they'd never experienced it before. They'd never felt it before. In other words, they never knew anything else but faith. They never knew anything else but confidence, assurance. Are you understand what I'm saying? So this was all brand new to them. So when we say that, and this is an odd way of saying it, but I really believe the Holy Spirit spoke this to my heart, that up until this point, Adam and Eve were going about life by faith. Okay, now you say, well, Pastor Mark, they could talk audibly face to face with God. All right, I got that already. But what does it mean to live by faith? It, it means to act on what God has said, even if the results or even if the consequences, even if what the Word says to you is not yet visible. They'd never seen anybody die. They didn't even know what it meant to die. I think that like when they sinned, and obviously something tremendous changed inside of them that they were like, oh, you know, almost like, what just happened, right? And, um, you know, so I believe they were kind of dazed by it. I don't know, whatever you want to imagine in your mind. But they were still breathing. So obviously, death did not mean not exist anymore or evaporate or whatever. But now they're limping where they were running. Now something's off and it's bad off. And the first effect of it was an inward compulsion to hide from one another. Before Adam and Eve ever hid from God, they hid from each other. And of course, in the process, hid from God. So here's the key point, all right? As long as Adam and Eve were going by what God said. In other words, going about life according to who God is and what God had said. They may not have said, why, uh, Eve, um, we sure have strung together a whole lot of days in a row living by faith. They may not even know what that meant. But that's what they were doing. Now, Satan knew that if he was going to mess up what God made perfect, that he was going to have to get them to disobey God See, we think in terms of sin, and I'm trying to help you see where faith fits into all this. It wasn't just that they were, he was trying to get them to rebel against God, break God's command. It was ultimately to get them to do something, to do life in a way other than faith. To get them to, instead of trusting God, having faith in God for their lives and for their future and for their well-being and for their provision, right? See... We don't, we don't like think about like Adam and Eve, you know, believing God for what they need to eat. But that's exactly what they were doing. They were trusting Him for their next breath. Are you, are you following me? 
They were trusting Him for whatever was going to happen tomorrow. And they slept soundly at night. They weren't worried. There was no worry in the Garden of Eden. Honey, we, you know, you might want to keep the first watch tonight. You never know when one of those lions are going to get hungry and eat us, right? None of that. None of that. So as simple and as pure as I know how to present it to you, they were living by faith. I've said this several times over the years. Let me say it again real quick. I'll run through it real quick, okay? There are certain places in the Word of God where you can find the will of God for man more clearly than any other place. Okay? Now, when I say the will of God for man, a lot of times we tend to lean in the direction of what God wants, what God wants to give us, how He loves us, and so forth. That's certainly accurate. But I'm also talking about the kind of life, the way of life that God has created us to live. The first one is in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. The Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. That's where you get a very clear picture, uncontaminated by sin, of, of how God created us to live, what He desires for us, and the way in which He intended for us to exist on planet Earth. Obviously, sin messed that up. Second place, you can see the will of God for man more clearly than perhaps any other place. Garden of Eden, number one. Number two, the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. It's all kinds of things that people believe God was behind, God was doing, God had sent, God had caused, God had created, right, was God's will uh, before Jesus came. Now all of a sudden, things that they believe God was doing, Jesus is walking up in the middle of and kicking over. Things that they believe was God's will, right? Jesus is like, that ain't God's will, that's the devil's work, and I'm here to destroy his works. And Jesus was reversing it, right? So again, we're seeing very clearly that God, because what did Jesus do? He went about doing good. He went about destroying the works of the devil. He went about, if people were blind, he opened their eyes. If people were sick, he healed them. If, if people were demon-possessed, he set them free. If people were in sin, he forgave them. We're seeing the heart of our Father. We're seeing the will of our Father. We're seeing the quality of life, right, that he, that he wants us to live. We talk so much about the conduct, the conduct, how God wants us to behave, and we ignore the condition. The Bible reveals in the Garden of Eden, in the life of Jesus, not just how to conduct our lives, but the condition of life that God desires for every one of us. We see it very clearly in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider for one second that Jesus lived every day of His life on planet Earth in faith? In faith. He walked by faith, he went about doing good because he went about life, living life in faith. And the devil knew that if he could ever get Jesus to compromise his faith, he'd have him, right? Let me remind you, in case you weren't here for these sermons. The Bible says, don't choke on this, just hear it all the way out. Whatever is not of faith is sin. No, it's not fair, Pastor Martin, then who can be saved? No, no, listen to me. He's saying whatever is not of faith is sin. We respond to that because we don't know what sin means. Sin means to miss the full scope and true end of one's life. Sin is anything that causes you to miss out on the life that God created you to live. So if it's not a faith, it's, it's a, an alternate route that you have been manipulated into taking by the enemy. And it is time and effort spent traveling in a direction towards an inferior life. The devil knows this. 
Let me say it to you another way. The devil knows that as long as you're walking by faith, living every day of your life, going about your life based upon what God says and a belief in what He says, even though it's not yet visible in your life, that there's nothing He can do to defeat you. There's nothing that He can do to stop you. There's nothing that He can do to, to, to slow your momentum and keep you from destroying His works the way Jesus did. So He's trying to get you off that pathway of faith. He's trying. It's what he did. It's, what, it's why we can learn lessons from this first temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The Lord said something to me today, and I, whoa, 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 let me say this, okay. I think the Lord said something to me today. I, I hadn't searched this out. I like to search it out, okay. I believe this is true, though. I believe, I, I recognize His voice, and I believe this is what He said to me today. Behind every temptation, there's an appetite. Behind every temptation, there is an appetite. Now, we said that we readily recognize physical hunger, physical appetites. But we are often very confused by the inward hunger of the heart. Behind every temptation, there's an appetite. So when I say that, listen to me please. It wasn't that Eve's stomach was growling but she was hungry for the fruit because the enemy was able to take, an adva take advantage of a lack of understanding on her part when he told her, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. Are you following me? There was none more beautiful, none more majestic, none more powerful, none more wise, none more wonderful than God. And so the idea planted in her head that the fruit would actually make her a better person. So the enemy created an appetite in her that was really false because she was already like God, but she didn't know that. Without a lengthy explanation, let me just suffice to say that I believe this is where Adam is ultimately to blame for this and not Eve. Because Adam was created first, and it was when he was created that God explained it to him, and then it was his responsibility to teach it to his family. And if you notice, he made a classic mistake. He taught her the rules, but he did not teach her, her identity. She knew the rules. She spouted the rules off very quickly. But when it came to who she really was, this was what she did not understand. I believe it was Adam's responsibility to teach her. He failed in that, and that was the chink in the armor. That was the crack in the door that the enemy was able to take advantage of. Not to mention, the heart of a mother is a, is a heart for her family, for her husband, for her children. Children, and there's that nurturing aspect that says, I want what's best for my family, even if it means a sacrifice on my part. All of these things came together when the enemy began a conversation with her. 
And the conversation began very simple, very innocent. Tell me about this fruit. What about this one you can't eat, right? <laughs> He's just getting her talking. And he knows if he can get her talking, then he has a good opportunity of steering her thoughts away from what God has said and on to aligning her thoughts with something opposed to God, something that would not be of faith, but something that would come from another source of information. Yes? All right. So, Satan manipulated this to get her to look at the fruit in a different way. To look at it in a different way. See, this is where how things look, how things seem, how things feel. We think it's the best way to live, and it's not. And let me tell you why it's not, among other reasons. Here's the main reason, I believe. Is when we chart a course in life determined by how things look, seem, and feel, we just made it very easy for our enemy to manipulate us. Because he is the God of this world, lowercase g-o-d. Jesus said it in John 12, 31. He's the God of this world, and I've come to cast him out. Again, the Bible talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Lucifer, Satan, fallen Lucifer, Satan, the devil, is the God of this world. And as the God of this world, he can manipulate the way things look, seem, and feel. So, because he makes his living deceiving, when we choose to live by the way it looks, seems, and feels, we're playing right into his hand for him to manipulate. So notice, this was where he began. These are lessons from the first temptation. This is where he began with Eve. And by the time he was done, we said this, the fruit looked good. Looking at the fruit in a different light caused her to feel something for the fruit so that it now seemed reasonable to eat the fruit. All right? Now, a lack of understanding where test trials and temptations are concerned lead to a lot of confusion. We've already emphasized this, but before we go to this next part, I just want to once again mention it. Remember that Satan is behind every test, trial, and temptation. The Bible plainly says in the book of James, let no one say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested or tempted or tried by God, for God cannot test, tempt, or try any man. He's not, he, nor does, God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor does he test, tempt, or try any man. So we see that these things are coming from the enemy. Now, when we look at Jesus' temptations, we see the same pattern. When we look, and we're going to do it, I'm going to show it to you in the Scriptures. But when we look at Jesus' temptations, we see that He tried the same tactics on Jesus that He tried on Eve. Of course, the big difference is He was not successful with Jesus, but He was successful with Eve and, of course, Adam. I'm offering to you tonight that these are not just His best tactics, but they are His only tactics. These are not just his go-to tactics. These are his tactics. And if we will learn these tactics, we will be positioned to overcome when he uses, yet again, it's not like we're a stranger to this, when he uses yet again 
the same tactic on us. So when we look at Jesus' temptations, we see that Satan was trying to bring forth a response or action from him that would be contrary to faith. Remember, whatever is not a faith is sin. You can reverse that. If whatever is not a faith is sin, then whatever is sin is not a faith. So he's trying to get Jesus to sin, not just so he can say na-na-na-boo-boo, because he's trying to get Jesus on an alternate path. Not the path that God has for him, the path that Satan is trying to manipulate him into away from the path that God has for him. This isn't a game. This isn't a power struggle. This isn't to see who's going to win today and we'll arm wrestle again tomorrow. No, this, this is eternity's at stake here. Remember, whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is sin is not of faith. And to produce that action, Satan began each temptation, three, right? Each temptation by trying to get Jesus to realign his thoughts or thinking away from the Word and align it with the way things looked, seemed, and felt in front of him. Amen. Now, oh, Father, help me. <clears throat> if you don't, it's okay. It's not a trick question. But do you know how Jesus was able to stand while he was tempted? He spoke the word, right? When when the, when the devil brought the three, and we'll look at them, when he brought those three different temptations against Jesus, each time Jesus said, it is written. Each time Jesus says, has God not said. Each time, you know, he, he just puts that right out there. Each time. Boom, boom, boom. Now, I think sometimes we've become a little bit confused about Jesus' tactic here or about Jesus' response here. And I'm going to ask you to really, really follow me close. Really, really pay attention here. I, I, want to, I want to make sure you get this the way the Holy Spirit is, is, is giving it tonight and, and how He wants us to understand this, okay? We sit back and look at the way Jesus handled these, the way He, um, you know, combated uh, you know Satan's temptations and we conclude the way for us to combat Satan's efforts against us is to use the word against him you know just like Jesus did you say pastor what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that but hear me out we look at this, in other words, we're kind of on the outside looking in, and we're just, okay, Jesus was tempted, and every time Jesus was tempted, he confessed the word, and he was tempted again, he confessed the word again, he was tempted again, he confessed the word again. So, we, we take away from that, when we're tempted, we should confess the word also. We should, but listen to me please, there's more going on here than that. There's more going on here than just a matching of wits. This is not just a chess match in the sense that 
Satan saying one thing and Jesus is, is matching him with something else and outwitting him. It's, it's way, way more uh, going on here than that. Jesus confessed the word at every temptation, not just to smack the devil in the mouth, but He confessed the Word at every temptation in order to keep His thoughts, words, and actions aligned with His Father's plan for His life. You understand what I'm saying here? We think that He was saying it for the devil's benefit. He wasn't just saying it like you know, to, to defend Himself against the devil. It is what He was doing, but the defense was not punch the devil... The defense was, devil, you're trying to get me do, to do this, and I am laser beam focused on what my father has said and nothing else. So he spoke the word because he was keeping his thoughts, his words, his actions in alignment with God's plan for his life, father's destiny for his life. He wouldn't veer off of that. Are you... Are you I, this is important, okay? And man, I, I, man, I can say it in tongues, brother. I'm telling you. you, you it was like, you know, the Bible, the Word of God now becomes His weapon. It is, a, it is a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. If you think I'm not saying that, you're wrong. I am saying that. But the power in this, and, and the reason for Him confessing the Word was not just because... Or, so think about it. Just think about it for a minute, okay? I know that Satan, you know, the sword of the Spirit and how it can be used against him. And sometimes, you know, I, I have a vivid imagination, you know, expect him just running through with it and violence and all this other stuff. When Jesus confessed the word, it didn't blast him, you know, 150 yards that direction like some force field was released. Boom! And all of a sudden, the devil just goes reeling backwards, right? Matter of fact, the third time, the devil confessed the word. <laughs> he spoke the word. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not trying to undermine or diminish the power of the word of God. But if we don't understand what's really going on here, we won't understand why Jesus confessed the word. What's going on here is the devil is trying to get him to veer away from the word. So every time the devil tried to get him to veer away from the word, Jesus confessed the word aligned his thoughts, words, and actions with what his Father has already said. We've missed the point altogether if we are confessing the Word while continuing to align our thoughts, words, and actions with the temptation. There's, there's a dual effect here. It's the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we are swinging that sword, right? But to defend ourselves, we have the shield of faith. Sometimes we, we treat the things of God, even faith, like some rabbit's foot. And the Word, the Scriptures, like some magic spell. That somehow, you know, if, if we just say those words, the devil's going to take off running. He clearly did not take off running when Jesus confessed the Word. 
And when Jesus confessed the Word the second time, He didn't take off running. He came right back at Jesus with the Word. Are you following me? So there's a lot of folks that think they can just talk about the problem, think about the problem, focus on the problem, thoughts, words, actions, align with the way things look, seem, and feel, and then a couple times a day say, say the Bible out of their mouth and somehow that's going to put the devil on the run. He laughs at that. He will use the very word you're speaking out of your mouth to twist it and get you to line your thoughts up with what he's trying to get you to line your thoughts up with and you will think you're being spiritual. Man, I've heard people say, i got to do what's best for me. And they say it with such conviction and passion, you would think they were quoting a Bible verse. When the devil put that thought in your head. All right. Matthew chapter 13, just if you're taking notes, write it down. I, I, it's, we're not going to try to tackle that whole thing tonight. But what we see in Matthew chapter 13 is what Jesus called the parable of parables. It is a master key parable. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in one place. He said, if you do not understand this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So it is fundamental, it is foundational to understanding the parables and for that matter, benefiting from everything else Jesus came to teach us and do for us. The parable is about a man who planted seeds. And when the man planted the seeds, we see that some of the seed fell on one kind of soil, some more of the seed fell on another kind of soil, and then even a third batch of the seeds fell uh, and became choked out by weeds. But then the fourth ground or soil that the, that the seed fell into was fertile soil, and it caused that seed to spring upward and put roots downward. And then the harvest of 30, 60, 100 fold return came from that seed. Now, I like to break that parable down in its simplest form. The seed, as Jesus identified, that's being referenced in the parable, is the Word of God. So the sower is planting the Word. And he's not digging a hole in the ground and planting it in the ground, but he's planting the Word of God in your heart, in my heart. So ultimately, Jesus is saying the condition of a person's heart is going to determine the harvest or lack thereof, the difference or lack thereof the Word of God makes in their life, in your life, in my life. The first group of people, the Bible says that the enemy came and stole the Word because they did not understand it. 
when we do not understand God's Word, it makes it easy for the enemy to come and steal it from us. The second group of people, the Bible says that they received the Word joyfully and they sprang up to life quickly because of it, but they had no root in themselves and when pressure was applied to them, they basically wilted over. And again, nothing productive came from the Word of God being sown in their heart. The third group or the third kind of soil condition in a person's heart, these are people who receive the Word. The Word of God begins to produce results in their lives. And because the enemy you know, is unable to steal that Word, we see that he uses another strategy. And that is other things, distractions, grow up around the Word of God and ultimately choke out its fruitfulness. And Jesus says those weeds are the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, and the desire for other things. Now, here's the way I simplify it. The first group of people are the ones who quit before they understood the second group of people are the ones who quit before they became established. And the third group of people are the ones who quit and never knew they did because it was a slow fade. But the fourth group of people are the ones who never quit. They continued with the Word. Now, the one thing that I left out, and I apologize, let me go back, is the second group, of, the first group, remember, the Bible says Satan came immediately and stole the word because why? Didn't understand it. Second group of people, the Bible says that the pressure was applied to them because of the word. They receive the word, the word starts to produce, make a difference in their lives. Satan's like, man, if I let this go unchecked, it's going to just, you know, be, you know, incredible results, incredible difference in their lives. I got to stop it before they really start enjoying the fruit of it or I'll never be able to stop them ever again. And so he brings all kinds of pressure against you because of the word's sake. We talk in James 1, and so many people talk about how I'm being tried. You are not being tried. Your faith is being tried because of the word. You know the good news from all that? You don't quit, you win. You don't quit, you win. All right, let me try to put a bow on this. The Bible says, we talk about the soil in our heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, with the heart, man believes. Romans 12, 3 says, that God has given to every person the measure of faith. So every person has in their heart faith. And because God gave it to you, the devil can't take it from you. But Matthew 13, this parable of parables, this master key parable, are you good? Have we gone too long? I know we didn't have music, so I've gone a little longer tonight. I'm fixing to wrap it up, okay? I want to get to this last piece. Matthew 13 says, according to Matthew 13, that there's two components here, the seed and the soil. As long as the seed remains separate from the soil, no results. But the moment the seed and the soil come together, every minute that goes by 
the chances of that seed producing harvest difference, measurable, tangible, verifiable difference in your life increases, and the devil knows it. So that's why the Bible says not just that he comes to steal the word, he comes immediately to steal it. See, now, if you're understanding what I'm saying tonight, he can't steal this from you because you understand it. Too late. So now he's got to try a different tactic. Again, pressure. Why don't you go down to that church every Wednesday night, listen to that gray-headed man spit and wave his arms and scream and holler at you? That's just the most ridiculous thing. You need some rest. You're busy. There's stuff on TV you could be enjoying, man. You go to chapel every morning. Blah, 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 right? So it's the devil's pressure, 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 pressure. He's trying, he's trying to take what's sprouting up in your life. He's trying to put so much pressure on like the sun beating down on it right, that it causes it to wilt and wither before you get roots deep enough in it to cause it to continue to grow. But again, because of the word's sake. Seed and soil have connected. If we don't stop it, the devil's thinking, if we don't stop it, my goose is cooked. You stand, haven't done all to know, all you know to do to stand, you keep standing, you keep believing, you keep standing on the word, you keep hanging in there, you refuse to quit. All of a sudden, you start getting some roots, you start seeing more things, you start experiencing a difference in your life, you start, things start opening up to you that you never knew were there, that you used to question, that you used to doubt, right? Now all of a sudden, it's like, wow, man, right? So now the devil's like, oh, what am I going to do? Let's try to get some other bad seeds planted around them that will grow up and choke it out. Deceitfulness of riches. How many times have I heard, Pastor, I'd love to be there, but i got to work. <laughs> Cares of this life. Just worries, burdens, things that we should be rolling over on Jesus. And then it's almost like a universal desire for other things. Okay? You hear me? If you ever... Remove yourself from close fellowship with God and His people, it will always be because of one of those three reasons, if not a combination. It'll be because you put money before your relationship with God. It'll be because cares of this life weighed you down to the point that you couldn't seem to put one foot in front of the other, or because you got a desire in your heart for something different. I tell you that not to beat you down. I'm just telling you that it's going to be one of those three things. Guard yourself against those three things, right? All right, so last thing. Seed, soil, there's no connection. As long as you never hear anything from God's word, the devil's happy, right? The minute that seed comes in, he's coming to get it. He's coming to steal it. If he can't steal it, he's coming to break it down. If he can't break it down, he's going to try to choke it out. Because this is what the devil knows. Why is the emphasis on, your word, on the word? Why is the emphasis not on the faith in your heart? He knows, listen to me very carefully, Satan knows that he cannot steal the faith that's in your heart from you. So this is why he focuses so diligently, so determined on the seed part. You follow what I'm saying? Soil's there, faith's there. If you don't quit, you say, well, well, what about, you know, those folks that this and that? No, no, let, even, even if you let things choke it out, if you don't quit, <laughs> Lord will start correcting you, helping you, bringing you back around, keeping you focused. In other words, 
And you'll become fruitful and even more fruitful once again. Yes? 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 You see what I'm saying? So, in other words, everybody thinks these are four categories, you know. Um, and I guess in some regard they are four categories, but how many of you are experiencing fruit from the Word of God in your life tonight and there was a time in your life that because you didn't understand it, Satan stole everything that you heard from you? You see what I'm saying? So in other words, we've progressed. We're growing in faith. So the faith is there. The faith is there. And the devil knows that if he don't do something to either choke out, burn out, or steal straight up highway robbery, the Word of God from you, it's going to make a difference in your life. He comes to steal the word. He comes to steal the word. He comes to steal the word. Last slide. Is it up there? Amen. What does the word say? What does the word say? Notice I put that one in all caps. I don't always do that. I just really felt impressed to do it that way. What does the word say? Amen. It says that for sure. What does the word say? Why, why do I have that up there? This needs to become our first question. you find yourself in a situation you're not sure what to do next don't take a stab in the dark based upon how it looks seems and feels and what somebody you know in a similar situation did for crying out loud if that's all we had to go to if that's the only way we had to live it would be different we're his children father what have you said about this what do you say? I'm hearing what mom and them say. I'm hearing what my next door neighbor's saying. I'm hearing what uh, the devil's saying. What does your word say about this? Are you seeing this, right? All the way back around, and if I've confused you on this part about Jesus' temptation, I'm not trying to. The devil was trying to get Jesus to think in a way that would be opposed to his father's way. So every time the devil said that, Jesus' response to him was what the word says. Wouldn't even consider anything other than what the word says. Adam and Eve got us all in a bunch of trouble because they did something that the Word of God did not say. Let's learn from their lessons. We don't have to make those same mistakes. Say, Pastor, I'm kind of new to all this Bible stuff. We'll help you. There's people around you to help you. If you're not sure what the Word says about something you're going through, there's a lot of people here. and it's not, it's, uh, there's, I don't know it all. Anybody tells you they know it all, run from them because they ain't telling you the truth. But I'm telling you, man, I had a young lady, I don't even know her name yet. She hadn't been found you very long. She came to me the other day after class, and she said, Pastor Mark, I really got a lot out of what you just said. And um, she said, I was raised in church, but she said, I'm not, I'm not really sure. There's all this stuff going on in my mind, and, and she was, I won't go into all the details, but she was telling me about some things that she's going through. And I said, well, sister, you need to, 
She said, could you give me some verses to, to, to focus on and to meditate on? And so one of my go-tos is uh, 1 John 4, 4. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. It's because we have the greater one in us, and we're God's child. We've already overcome things that we haven't even faced. Whatever trouble might be waiting for you two weeks from now, you've already overcome it in Christ. So don't be stressed about it, right? So I gave her that one, and it didn't seem to, she was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I gave her another one, and she said, okay, yeah, yeah. And then some verses from John 15 erupted out of her. And her eyes lit up and began to glisten, right? And this smile came on her face, right? What just happened? I told her the ones that I go to in those similar situations, but the Holy Spirit showed her the one that was for her. And it came alive in her. And when it came alive in her, she came alive standing right in front of me. The Holy Spirit, I felt the Holy Spirit on me. You see what I'm saying, right? What had she been doing? She had been setting her thoughts, words, and actions and aligning them with the problems she was facing. She was making decisions based upon how it looked, seemed, and felt, and it was carrying her in a pathway down, carrying her down a pathway towards an inferior life. What, what happened in that moment? She lined all that back up with what God said. Stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, that might be the longest sermon I've preached on a Wednesday night in a long time. But I kind of thought in the back of my mind, if we can't find anybody else to do music and if the videos don't work, I've been wanting to get some stuff said that was going to take more than a minute or two. So I hope I haven't kept you too long. Let's pray together. Father, you're good to us. We love you. You're teaching us and we're learning. Father, may we receive your word engrafted into our souls Father, that's transforming us and reconditioning us. We are faith children of a faith God. You created us to walk and live by faith, Lord. You gave us faith so that we could do it. You gave us the Holy Spirit to help us and teach us and guide us. You gave us the Word of God that would carry us through any situation that we would ever face in this life or any life to come. And so, Lord, tonight we rest in You. Make us aware, Holy Spirit. Prompt us, Holy Spirit when our minds start to get set upon things that are not aligned with what the Word of God says. May our first question be, what does the Word say? And let us go with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you.